ready. It's just a simple jump to hyperspace and we're there? What's so tricky about that? Plenty. Can't plot a direct course to Kessel. You have to thread through the psychotic cluster and then pass through the maelstrom. You done flirting? I'm still ready. You might wanna buckle up, baby. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Eclair and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode 289, You're Liberated, Scoot. Uh, I am your host, Carl LeClaire, and unfortunately, Jason couldn't be with us tonight. Um, his new job is very demanding, but lo- not, do not be afraid. I am rejoined very recently by a wonderful, wonderful co-host, and we have the great Katie Horn. Surprise! I never left. <laughs> Well, I know a lot of our uh, listeners will be happy to hear you back on the show so soon. Oh, I, I certainly hope so. I don't want them to get too annoyed and, and flee from the rampaging Wampa. <laughs> that only makes the Wampa want to chase you when you run away. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I think I'm the only one who ever drives them away, so you sh- you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we make in Tauntaun burgers. Is that what we got going on here? The, the, ol- the only kind we have here, Katie. <laughs> so I hope you're not a vegetarian. <laughs> No, I want I want that like Tauntaun fur coat when we're done making the burgers. Love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, unfortunately, Jason couldn't couldn't be with us tonight. Um, his new work schedule has been really crazy sometimes. So unfortunately, he had to, he had to back out for this evening, um, but really wanted to get another episode out, kind of just giving final thoughts on Solo. And Katie, I know you have a lot of great thoughts still you would like to share. Um, and if you haven't tuned into the, to the previous episode, Jason gave us a great uh, discussion and panel that he did at Phoenix Comic-Con a couple weeks ago where they talked about Solo in general as well as kind of the future of Star Wars. So if you haven't checked that out, I I definitely recommend checking out that little episode from earlier this week. Um, But I'm very happy that Katie was able to to join me for tonight and uh, just kind of talk about some wrapped up thought, wrapping up our thoughts on Solo in general. So I'm glad to have you with us. Oh, I'm just, I'm so glad to be here, Carl. I can't wait to talk more solo. Uh, as you say, I just have so many emotions about this movie, much like yourself, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, so, 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 so many. Um, <laughs> but the first thing I want to say is, 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 is a big thank you to, to, the, to the recent iTunes reviews. Um, we've gotten a few more. Again, Katie, you were one of them, so thank you for that. I can't <laughs> You're believe you've been listening to this long like- and you finally took, took the time to write a review. My God. <laughs> exactly. Well, it was one of those things where I was like, has it been too long? You know, where like y- you feel bad for waiting so long and you're like, is it going to be worse if I finally do it? So, you know what? If someone is listening and you're like, oh, I'm too embarrassed to write a review so late, just do it. It's amazing. <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> Yeah, and again, it, it certainly helps us out, and uh, you know, um, we we really appreciate all of you who who've taken the time to to share your thoughts. Um, but Katie, you saw this as well because you're always really good at responding on, on social media. I'm finally starting to get the hang of Twitter, so I'm going to try to use that a bit more. And I do realize more people are using Twitter than Facebook these days. Um, so uh, I'd like to try to, to to stay on top of things a bit more on Twitter. 
So I shared this on both Twitter and, and Facebook today where I just, you know, again, like it, it's a new episode. It's, it's always fun to do a poll or a matchup. And uh, so we have I, I asked folks what their favorite specific track was from the solo soundtrack because I'm loving the music from this. I know Jason's really loving the music as well. I, I think you are as well, Katie. If I, if oh, I definitely. It's uh, it's I I think I liked the Rogue One soundtrack a little better, but this one like I it just knocks it out of the park absolutely. Yeah, it's so good. And, you know, I, Jason and I were talking about this. I don't know if we talked about it on air. We were talking. We often talk for a while before we start recording, as, <laughs> as you and I did already this evening. Um, I think that's just indicative. Um, but uh, I, I remember sharing with Jason and. It, that uh, I feel like actually is a, is a full album. I prefer solo to Rogue One, but Rogue One certainly has individual tracks that trump some of my favorite tracks from solo. Um, and, and again, a lot of those tracks are very Giacchino. Like, you know, Your Father Would Be Proud is probably one of my favorite Star Wars tracks of all time. But oh, it's same. but it's very uh. like not Star Wars. I don't want to say not Star Wars. It's very different for Star Wars, right? Um, it's very Giacchino as opposed to very John Williams. Um, so, you know, he, he really brought his own flavor to that soundtrack. Um, so yeah, I think there's standout things from Rogue One I prefer, but as a, as a full album, I actually do think I prefer, uh, Solo. Um, which surprised me because I love Giacchino. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, I think that's kind of what I like is the newness. I don't, I don't know. I like when Star Wars feels different and it surprises me. Um, so that's probably why I do feel drawn to to the Giacchino stuff. Um, it, it again, it is as you say, very him instead of John Williams. And for so long, John Williams like was the sound of Star Wars. And so when you get somebody else in there, it's it's different. But I like that. I think it's cool. It feels like a like a breath of fresh air. Um, and and what I what I'm digging about this solo soundtrack is just how heroic it is. It, oh yeah, I I. Han Solo obviously is a hero, but I never really thought of him as like kind of this kind of hero. And it just really, this music makes me admire him all the more. You know, when I hear it, it, it's, it sounds adventurous. It sounds like I could really rally behind this guy and believe in this kid, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and um, that's something I do have. To, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of the, the music that John Powell gave us here in the movie a little bit later in the episode. But um Without further ado, here are the poll results. Everything everything's a bit of a tie. Um, so we only have three spots because everything kind of tied up. So uh, in the in the third spot, all coming in at one vote, we have the Train Heist track, Savarine Standoff, and L3 in the Millennium Falcon. Um, coming in at second place with two votes each, we have the Marauders Arrive, Meet Han, and Lando's Closet. Um... And then coming in at first place, all with three votes each, is ooh. Actually, hold on, we do have a winner because I forgot to vote. So, <laughs> um, so coming in at second place with three votes each is the Adventures of Han, which is the Han Solo theme written by John Williams. Um, your vote, Katie, Chicken in the Pot, also yes. came in. Um, so, what is it? I know you shared on social media. But tell me a little bit more about what you what you really like about this track, Chicken in the Pot. Well, it's uh, it's like what I was saying before. It just feels very different. I don't think we've heard anything quite like this in Star Wars before. And um, and again, I, I just feel uh, whenever we get something like that in Star Wars, it's like I can take a deep breath and feel something new. God, I love that. 
Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to distract you for a moment. Oh, I love it. Oh, but it's like, um, I, I think it's perfect for a Star Wars speakeasy, which is what I think yeah. they're going for with uh, with Dryden Voss's ship. It's very like... You know, like this isn't this isn't the cantina you're used to. This is a lounge, okay? This is savvy. This is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this chorus is really cool. This is like this is the song I've been listening to like all week when I go to the gym. As I'm driving to the gym, I have this cranking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm sitting right now and I'm like I don't know doing this little dance. It's just <laughs> I can't hear this and not just want to like dance like I'm in the club. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it is really cool. I mean. We, you know, right? The source music—the source music we get in Star Wars is is all very unique and very neat, right? Like going back to the original Cantina Band, which is kind of the first piece of source music from Star Wars. Uh, you had well, actually, this so Chicken in the Pot. What it reminds me most of, and I'm not saying that it's the same because it's definitely not. But what mm-hmm. to me is the most similar to it from Star Wars source music is Lapty Neck from the original Return of the Jedi release. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Again, it's not the same, but it does have a little bit of that feel to it. And like, like I, I like Jedi Rocks as a track. I've still never liked it in the Return of the Jedi. I, I think that piece of music is very odd for Jabba. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, I like it as its own standalone piece. But in the film itself, I've always found it a bit weird. Um, and uh, but I could hear this song in Jabba's Palace for sure. Like I could hear Chicken in the Pot playing in the background. And I wouldn't be super surprised to hear Lopty Neck being played at Dryden Voss's yacht. Uh, okay. I know there's just something similar about him. Um, yeah, I could see like I could see Jabba getting out like a couple of Twi'lek dancers and like you know and they're <laughs> dancing the chicken in the pot, you know, like yeah, I could see it. I, I'm down. Yeah. So in because the only other source music we've gotten in the Disney era really is you know um, Ujava. Um, oh Jabba's flow from from Force Awakens, which I've never really loved. It's fine. But, oh, I love it. Uh, Just because it makes me laugh. I love it so much. Ujaba. Yeah, Ujaba. Um, and it is cool that that JJ does do some of the lyrics in the background. I mean, it's very you know they touch it up a lot in post production, but it is cool that he added vocals to it. Um, it's just one of those tracks that I can't help but smile. Isn't that what Star Wars is about? It just wants to make you smile. It just wants to make you feel like a kid again. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, re- real quick, I love the title, uh, Lando's Closet. I know. <laughs> I just that it's so good because it's like, what if like Across the Stars was just called like Padme's Backyard? Like what? <laughs> it just. <laughs> <laughs> Padme's backyard. <laughs> I love it. I'm just going to call it that from now on. <laughs> Duel of the Face is just going to be called Darth Maul is here. That's that's what it's called now. <laughs> yeah. Lando's Closet is beautiful. I mean, so it's so funny. All the tracks that po- folks voted, you know, kind of cast their vote in on today, um, these are all like my favorite tracks off, off the soundtrack. There was nothing missing that I really particularly love. Um, so, yeah, this is just, it's so beautiful. This this piece of music, John Powell absolutely crushed it on this piece. Um, mm-hmm. But are you curious to know what came in first? Absolutely, hit me. So, um, and again, it's because I forgot to cast my vote. And again, I I asked people to vote for their favorite track. Now, I shared with you and Jason last week my favorite musical moment, which does come out of the track "Marauders Arrive." And "Marauders Arrive" is probably a very close second for me on the soundtrack but my favorite standalone piece and three other people agree so that gives it the, the edge by four 
um, is flying with Chewie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, oops. The, yeah. You know, I love it because, I mean, it starts really good, but, you know, we get a, a really fun statement of Han's theme here. Um, you know, very victorious. I told you, very good friends. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and off they go on this adventure, right? But I think what really captured this piece for me is uh, what kind of follows up here with them, you know, the balcony scene, if you will, um, mm-hmm. to, to quote one of our listeners. But the it's moving this, balcony. Yes. This, this piece of music right here. These these drums are really cool. And, and I think this is, this is where he works in Chewie's theme. Um, and I like that there's a bit of like kind of these tribal drums, like, in, you know, evoking that sense of the Wookiee culture, if you will. Um, but there's just it, there's something really beautiful and innocent to this theme, and yeah, it's uh, hopeful. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, it really is. Oh, um, I'm digging it. I'm digging it so much. Yeah. So so this particular track did come in at number one on our on our little poll for for this week. It's so. a good pick. I'm not even mad. <laughs> <laughs> so again, everybody to, that contri- had, took the time to contribute today, thank you so much for for playing along. Always always great to have participation. Um, but Katie, I kind of wanted to hop into some of the like what we might consider the major themes of of, of solo in particular, and um, I think, and again, feel free to disagree or, or just say there's or or add supplementals. Um, to me, the biggest theme of the movie is this theme of freedom and liberation. Um, Definitely, and you know, I mean, I think that's it. It's summed up. In specifically Han himself, right? I mean, that's that's his whole goal, right? He and Kira at the beginning of the movie, their their goal is to be free. Um, and I think what freedom means is somewhat different for a lot of the characters. Um, I think f- the the idea of what it means to be free evolves and matures, right? Like, and and I I think what I really like is Han and Kira's understanding of freedom as they're you know fleeing Corellia is one of not being beholden to anyone, right? Like this sense of kind of teenage freedom. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, the Kasdans, I don't remember if it was John or or Lawrence, but they said something along those lines that, right, that that both Han and Kira, they they kind of have this, you know, kind of teenage sense of freedom, the sense of, you know, being free of any sort of authority figure and just being able to, you know, cruise the roads, right? Um, Yeah. which is kind of, which is also a very huge theme of you know um, American graffiti. Um, you know George Lucas really captured that sense of you know the teenage desire to be free and just cruise the back roads. Now, I get I grew up in a very small rural town and I used to love just driving with my friends like on old farm farm roads and stuff. Just you know feeling the breeze in your hair, thinking we were on top of the world, even though we had to get home by nine. Um, <laughs> you know, but. Um, <laughs> But I, I love this idea that, you know, that what Han will understand as freedom, I think, will evolve with him. And I think that's true uh, of the human condition, right? When we're young, freedom means being, you know, kind of in a way free of our parents' authority, free of having to, you know, check in with it, check in with anyone. And, um, you know, I think that's that's very much what Han and Kira represent at the, at the, the beginning of the film. But uh, that sense of freedom changes as, as we grow. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you think? What do you think of this idea of, of, of freedom and, 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 you know, trying to capture that sense of freedom? 
I think you're absolutely on the money. I mean, Kira explicitly states it when she says, um, you know, they're going to get out and no more following orders, no more being kicked around. Uh, So, yeah, just this useful idea that being free means not having any authority over you. Um, And gosh, even Han at the beginning when he um, says, you know, the next person who hits me gets hit back. He like, you know, takes that that what is it just like a stick you know yeah. the guy that's like kicking him around he grabs that stick and you know he like has that power they're both taking this moment to finally seize control of their own lives and not have any you know any authority you know lording over them kicking them around all the time they're just gonna drive off and be free i um i absolutely think that's a that's a huge part of youth and you know uh, having a car i think is a is a big part of that at least in american culture um i know that um uh for me like that was kind of my like defining moment of like freedom too was when i left for college um having absolutely everything i owned piled up in the back of the car and then i'm just driving down the road and i just like i'm free like i'm in charge of me there's nobody else in charge of me right yeah you just have that open road out in front of you. And I, I absolutely think that at the beginning, that's what that means for Han and Kira, but it changes as they evolve and as their priorities shift. Um, and I think like ultimately um, what Han maybe kind of learns or what I get out of it, at least, I don't know if Han's quite here yet is that, you know, freedom is kind of something that you give yourself because by the end of it, you know, the only one really standing in Kira's way is Kira. She could run off and be free with Han, which is what, you know, Han's like, I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not letting people stand in my way and telling me how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go out and live my life. And Kira's like, she can't get out of this life because she's too afraid to. And it's so sad that she feels like she's trapped and there's all these people, you know, Dryden, Maul, you know, all these big time gangsters <laughs> are trapping her into this life. But really, the only one standing in her way is her. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's it's to me, it's the strongest thread that flows through the movie. I mean, even Beckett and Val, right. That's what they're seeking. They're set. They're seeking freedom. You all, he wants to go back to Gleonsom and Mm -hmm. learn, learn to play that Valacor. Babe, you're never going to learn to play it. She's right. (laughs) You are tone deaf. Um, (laughs) Oh, I I love love them. I love when they start chuckling and Han's laughing and then Beckett's like, you know, and like shuts Han right. I love that. It it always gives me a chuckle. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they're all in their own way seeking freedom because they're all under the thumb of something or someone you know, Beckett, obviously, he, he tells Han, you know, you have any idea what it's like to live with a price on your hand? And, and Han will learn that lesson. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Kira's obviously, you know, under the thumb of Dryden. Um, and, and the scene that really, really captures this for me, and I, I think it's so beautiful, is that that balcony scene of Han and Chewie, right? As they're flying to Vandor. And, you know, I love when Han... Han says to him. So actually, I might as well just mention this now. So I, I made some notes about uh, I, I kind of put some examples of. So there are two big emotions that I had throughout this film, um, and I called them my big smile moments and my big tear, teary eye filled moments. Oh, and, I love it. And one of the moments that gave me both of those emotions at the same time was that that balcony scene. I do love my balcony scenes, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> and I think the big smile is just the way that the two of them are bonding. But 
I love the line when Han says, you know, I got a real sweet deal here. You know, we'll make some real money and then we can be free. When was the last time you could say that? And Chewie says something that obviously we don't know exactly what he says. But then Han says, yeah, it's been a while for me, too. And I don't know. There's just something about the way he says that, that like it just brings tears to my eyes of like that. I just feel so sad for them that Mm -hmm. that so much of their lives have been, you know, kind of held over them. And um I don't know, it, it's just something, I mean, where I'm at in my, my own personal life, like, uh, in a way, I, you know, seeking a certain sense of freedom from, from things of my own past. And, like, knowing how, you know, lo- knowing how things can really hold on to you and, and kind of, kind of, you know, s- subvert you in a way that you don't want them to. So just this idea of wanting to be free of something like that, like, when, when they share that moment together, it's, it's this moment of connection and it's really beautiful. What brings these two together more than, more than just working together to, to physically be free, but is their desire to be more free. Um, and I just find that really beautiful. And I remember I was, I was driving down to New York for a, New York city for a wedding a few weeks ago. And I was listening, I had that soundtrack on repeat, like the whole way there. And the first time through, I was listening to that track and I could hear that line in my head during the song. And I just started like crying in the car. Yeah. Oh, and, I love it. And I was like, yeah, I totally get that. Like I, I'm right there with Han and Chewie saying like, yeah, it's been a while for me too. And oh, I just, I love it. Like they're just, you know, yearning for that freedom and, and giving everything they can to it. Yeah. Oh gosh. What, what brings the tears on for me is the way Han just keeps saying, oh, you know, one more job, this one last job, because then of course I think about a new hope, which is that's basically what he's doing sitting around in that cantina. And, you know, when old Ben Kenobi comes up and Han's just like, yeah, just this one last job, this will save my hide. I'm like, you know, and then Beckett and Val are the same way where they're just talking about one last job. And it just that just seems to be what their whole lives are, are this the struggle for freedom. And it's always just out of reach there. There's never one moment where they're thinking, you know, it's over. It's always just one more job. It's just one more right there. They can reach out and grab it. But it's just it's just out of reach. It makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really is. Um when, and I mean, you even get this in L3, right? L3 is a mm-hmm. character who is, you know, what drives L3 is freedom, the sense of freedom, not being subjugated, right? And, I, you know, you've, you've had some critics of the film saying like, oh, you know, I'm sick of this social justice crap. You know, what do we need droids <laughs> rights for? And I'll, I'll, I, will, I will contend that I, I, ha- I did find it a bit odd to have this idea of like droids rights just because that that's a very sci-fi thing. I don't find it to be very Star Warsy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like sci-fi would right. I think I think of Terminator and Skynet becoming self-aware um, and it <laughs> never bodes well for humanity. Um, so I did think it was like an odd um, thematic thing to run through the movie. But after like seeing it a couple times, I'm like, no, this actually makes a ton of sense. This whole movie is about freedom. And I think that's what L3 even continues to encapsulate is even these droids, even these machines are seeking freedom. I mean, it's the it's the anchor of this film. And, you know, I think if if, if that's a problem for you, if you if, if you hate the idea of people wanting to be free, that's that calls for more self-reflection than <laughs> criticism of Star Wars, in my opinion. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it, it, while it is it is something new and a little bit different and I'm, I'm, I'm I have no qualms saying that it was a little bit odd for me. 
I think it makes so much sense why it's in this movie, though, because even a droid is seeking freedom, right? That's what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the underlying theme of this film. Yeah, I think I think it's it is a little odd because you know Star Wars is forty years old at this point, and I think from day one we've been kind of wondering uh, just you know how much sense sentience droids have, and you know are are they slaves? Should we feel bad? You know that that our hero Luke Skywalker is literally purchasing <laughs> two two of our other heroes at the beginning of the movie, like and it, so it's been like an underlying question in Star Wars for a while, and it did. If anything about this feels weird to me, it's that we are finally kind of addressing it. I thought we all kind of agreed to to not think about it too much, <laughs> but um, um, I I don't know. I don't I don't think it, it's weird that that L three is is you know. Uh, kind of using these these modern phrases, you know, asking for equal rights, you know, that's not really a phrase we've heard in Star Wars before, but it is definitely a theme we've had in Star Wars before. I think what catches people off guard is that she's saying it explicitly and she's asking explicitly for these things. And um, I, I, I don't know, as you say, it just it really works because these are things we've had in Star Wars for quite some time. And and she uh I don't know, as she embodies so much of what I think the the you know, the rebellion is supposed to be. She's literally running around screaming, you know, no more subjugation and what, you know, perfect <laughs> rallying cry for for our like uh our uh, founding of a uh, you know, Leia's rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, you know, um I I don't, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I have no one else to say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, another big theme of the film is the idea of not being alone, right? The, mm, the, mm-hmm. the kind of the sadness that co- comes along with isolation and, and the importance of friendship, camaraderie, relationship, right? Um, I think that's another big theme of the film. And, and, it's hit on very hard, especially like in the train heist, right? Um, and 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 the campfire scene there, where um, you know Val, you know, I love the the line by Val. You know, everybody needs somebody, even a broken down crook like this one. Um, oh, I love that part. It's it's so sweet. There's something in the way that she like pushes back Beckett's bangs. You know, this hair. She brushes his hair out of his face and then kisses him. It's so sweet to me. It's so incredibly tender. You know. They're only together for a little a little while on screen, but I buy their romance like so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. And you know, Woody Harrelson definitely came out on the you know the the lucky end there. He's not nearly as attractive as Stanley <laughs> Newton. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, but no, I, I completely agree, Katie. I buy their romance, even though it's very short, and and that just goes to show good writing and good acting, right? Um, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I love the prequels, but I you know it's really hard to buy the romance in attack of the clones. I don't think it's that great. Um, I get it from Anakin's perspective. I don't see what Padme sees in him though. I still don't. Um, other than that, he's hot, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I mean, I'll go to bat for that if you want me to, or we can keep talking about solo. It's all good. <laughs> no, I uh, feel free. Go ahead. Actually really quick. We'll, we'll take a quick attack of the clone side note. Yeah, um, here we go. A little no. attack of the clone sidebar. I, 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 Love I'm it. <laughs> genuinely asking. I feel like you'll have a good response. So please. Well, well, for me, it's um, 
at the very beginning of the movie, um, you know, Anakin's kind of making a fool of himself, and Padme just smiles and says, oh, you'll always be that little boy I knew on Tatooine. Which, like, admittedly, you know, ouch. You know, wow, I'm always going to be 10 years old to you. Which, on the surface, <laughs> not great, right? Yeah. But I actually think that's exactly it. Not that he'll always be 10 years old to her, but that he'll always be that that person that risked everything to save her so that she could go back to Naboo and, or go to Coruscant, you know, save her people. It, he's basically, he's, he's her hero and he'll always be innocent and he'll never be able to do something wrong. You know, no matter what happens, no matter what he does, no matter how foolishly he acts, no matter how terrible he becomes, you know, even when she's pregnant and he force chokes her, you know, she still believes there's good in him because he'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. You know, I don't I don't think she could even conceive a better person than, you know, this this like heroic, you know, (laughs) figure who just wants to help her, just wants to help everybody. You know, man, Katie, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Because I I, yeah, I mean, I genuinely ask that. I don't mean it to level it as a criticism, but I've always struggled with that. I'm like, I don't get what she sees in him. And I remember showing that movie a few times uh, to some friends who were getting into Star Wars. And it was a predominantly female crowd, and, and a bunch of the women are like, the movie was okay. They're like, I don't get what she sees in that guy, though. He's a jerk and an immature man baby. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a response. And they're like, I mean, he's attractive, but beyond that, I don't know. And my always, my, my always response was is like the thing, right, the, the scene where, I mean, it's corny as hell, but I love corniness, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Same. Um, but, you know, right when the scene, they're just rolling around laughing, I think, you know, I can understand she's attracted to the sense that he ha- he allows her to let her guard down, right, mm-hmm. and and have fun and and just enjoy life. I think it, what's not attractive about that, right? Um, finding someone you can play with. I think that's an important part of any relationship. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, no, I, I'm glad we went down that went down that little tangent because you've really just clarified really beautifully what where that comes from. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I really feel that that's it because everybody's like, what does she see in him? He's such a goober. And I'm like, not to her, not to her. He's he's just this, you know, innocent hero. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, going back to Solo, you know, this yes. this little campfire scene, though, does enough to really solidify the, the relationship between Val and Beckett. And um, yeah. I remember, you know, when we when the trailers came out and we saw this little campfire scene, you know, the thing that it, what it evoked to me was like, oh, this is such a Western, right? Like Westerns mm-hmm. always have stories where, you know, the characters are sitting around by campfire. And these are the moments where character development happens, right? Like that's the point of scenes like that. It's to develop a character, kind of give you a sense of their motives or, or who they are under the surface. And this scene does that perfectly. Uh, and we get a sense of who Rio is. We get a sense of Beckett and Vale and, and what they mean to each other. Right. Like I love um, I love when Beckett says to her, you know, she's like, you know, I can't remember her question him, but he's like, oh, you know, I just I just hope you know what you're doing. He's like, of course, I know what I'm doing and why I like that. He builds on that. Right. Like he kind of reveals a little bit more like, yeah, the what we're doing is stealing something. But the why we're doing it, which is what's important to them as characters, is we're Mm. doing this so we can be free to go back to Gleonsom. Right. And Mm -hmm. um, and live happily ever after if that's such yeah. a thing um and build that house have that cantina somewhere warm <laughs> but not too warm <laughs> you know and yeah you know um 
it's it's this just this great little scene and 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 when they share that kiss together i love again alden is just so damn good in this movie um mm-hmm. but watching you know han's reaction to their kiss like this just it's kind of this like beatific smile that that's on his face because i think they mirror to him what he wants right like he's what he reveals he wants with kira mm-hmm. um and it, I, I i'm sure you've noticed this katie um and and if you haven't maybe this will be like oh a good reason to go see it again um yeah. <laughs> but you know when rio asks Han, you know what are you doing what are you in this for revenge and you know and you know Vale says well no i you know if if he's in it for anything it's a girl and han says yeah there was a girl and when he reveals that they cut to chewy and chewy kind of just looks very intently at han and again, it's it's it, they do this in very subtle ways throughout the film of developing this this friendship between these two characters of Han and Chewie. And I feel like this is one of those first, another one one of these early moments where Chewie notices Han, mm-hmm. right? Like Han isn't just a criminal; he's not just some outlaw who's you know in it just for the money. He's in this for a reason, and right, like Chewie looks at Han, listens to him. And even Vale, right? It cuts to Vale, who's been very skeptical, very outwardly skeptical of bringing Han into this crew. She kind of smiles when he admits that he knows she'll be there. That's what he's in this for. I love that smile. It's beautiful little smile. She's just yeah. like touched, I think, by by his sweetness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they mirror it back to him. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and and I know I said this on a previous episode, but then I love it because then Han turns to Chewie again, like, just you know so kind of going off this you know the question we just you know we just talked about with Anakin and Padme and Attack of the Clones but you could ask the question what is it about Han that attracts Chewie um and again i think well, this is one of those moments Han turns to Chewie right recognizes Chewie and recognizes that Chewie is a person who also has motives and purpose and motivations and says what about you what are you going to do with yours right like he listens to him um right Chewie's yeah. voice matters Han and and I love that yeah no I love that too because to to so many people even Beckett in a way Chewie is just a thing like to the Imperials he was just the beast and to Beckett he's a heavy lifter (laughs) even to Rio need some of that Wookiee oomph (laughs) exactly (laughs) and it's just like you know he he's not really a a person he's a thing I guess maybe even kind of like the droids you know the droids are are just utility and that's how I think a lot of people see Chewie, but Han looks at him and sees a person with his own wants and needs and desires. And I guess I guess you can make an argument Han shouldn't be necessarily rewarded for giving Chewie the, you know, basic human decency. <laughs> right. But uh but you know, if literally nobody else around him is doing it, then yeah, Chewie's gonna stick with the person who who does see him as for want of a better word, human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and and that's important, right? Yeah, and yeah. you're right. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we maybe there shouldn't be too much credit given to somebody for just recognizing that. But in a world where that isn't often recognized, it's worth recognizing those who recognize it. That's yeah, exactly. A very roundabout way of saying something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, but you know, one other thing I think um, is a is a strong theme. Not as much as that of like. Uh, the need for for another. Um, well, actually, I, I, let me let me not get off this point for a second because I think there could be a little bit more said about it. Um, I think Han's understanding of what that means 
matures throughout the movie as well, which is actually to me the third theme of this movie is that of kind of growing up. Um, and and uh, I think for Han, he he believes Vale, right? Like you know, there there is an importance in having someone. I mean, even Rio, those are Rio's dying words. You know, Vale was right. Don't you know, right. it's no good yeah. to die alone, kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for Han, what that means matures with him. I think he definitely agrees, but for him early on, that means he needs to be with Kira, right? Like it needs to be kind of this romantic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it sort of shifts in the movie to Beckett, like Beckett becomes a surrogate father figure for Han. Um, and you know, I think for Han, uh, that's what he needs. Okay. Well, I need this. I need, I need this mentor figure. But ultimately, he comes to learn that really all he needs is is a friend, like a good friend, and he finds that ultimately in Chewie. It's so beautiful. I just want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> they're such good friends. They're just like their friendship. I think could just tear down the whole galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're always going to be there for each other. It's just <laughs> this is kind of random, but it just kind of it kind of shows like I don't. <laughs> The fact that Chewbacca doesn't shoot Kylo Ren in the head, you know, yeah. is just, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, it's, you know, cause he just killed Han Solo and just the way Chewie screams, like tears my heart out. And then like, so, you know, he really should just shoot Kylo in the head, but at the same time, that's his son, that, that's Han's son. So, so he shoots him in the side. He just he just needed his friend, okay? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so emotional. It's all <laughs> gibberish. <laughs> yeah. Um but right, I mean, I I think the the film really shows a maturation in Han mm-hmm, specifically, mm-hmm. which makes sense. He's the title character. Um but he is there's a naivete to him that kind of wears off throughout the film. He becomes more jaded. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That's the whole, oh, gosh, that, that last scene between Beckett and Han where, you know, Han's like, you think everybody's like you and Beckett's like, no, you're nothing like me. But then kind of the tragedy is that Han kind of has become more and more like him because they, they're so similar, you know, and, and that, that naivety is turned into, I guess, jagged is the only really word I can think of for it right now. And and it takes it it takes a while for Han to kind of get worn back down again and and be you know vulnerable with like Luke and Leia. Yeah, it takes him a decade apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, nah, yeah, I I, I completely agree. Um, you know, and and I think even early an early moment in the film for Han showing some level of of maturation is during the train heist and, you know, watching Rio die next to him, right? The, the camera kind of zooms in on his face and there's like this, like, oh, crap look. Like, it, it becomes really real. I think early on for Han, like, again, this is a great opportunity to make some money. You know, it's, 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 it's a quick payout. We can get back to Corellia. But I think it's an adventure for him, right? Like, this is going to mm-hmm. be fun and exciting. Um, but then reality sets in, like, this is a dangerous game you're playing. Right. And he witnesses yeah. Rio's death and then he witnesses Vale's death. And I think, right, that's when the stakes really become clear to Han. Um, and, yeah. and think about the, the decision to not, you know, fly straight because Enfys will let go. Right. Like you fly straight. They'll let go. 
Han doesn't do it. I feel like for Han, it's like, nope, I've witnessed enough death this time. I'm going to make sure to save Chewie and Beckett. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, you know, in this, we get a sense that, that Han's understanding that this is a serious game. Although I can easily, you know, devil's advocate myself here and say, but in a way, has Han learned? Because then at the end of the film, right, they're going to see Dryden. He says to, to Kira, you know, we're going to win. It's not that type of game, Han, right? Yeah. Um, so maybe he hasn't really learned. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I wonder if maybe the Rio death, like specifically, if that's the first time maybe Han has seen like a good person die, you know, someone that he actually liked because he's been in war for a while now, but we can understand that, you know, he, he doesn't really have any friends in the empire. You know, none of the soldiers are his buddies, you know, I, I think maybe he's used to death, but he just kind of is like, you know, these are, these are all bad people and this is war. He's never seen the good guys lose. You know, and when it happens, it, it 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 is kind of a wake up call for him a little bit. But but then, as you say, yeah, when he's like, "No, we're gonna win," I guess maybe because he's had kind of some good luck recently. Maybe he's like back on top. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> he's yeah. just feeling good. Like you know, Kira's back. He's just having a good time. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, um. Well, like it, let's let's talk a little bit about Han and Kira. Yeah. Um. You know, they're they're a central part of this film. I mean, in a way, Kira is she's she's Hans MacGuffin, right? To use to use storytelling language, mm-hmm. um, especially um, well up through the the first act of the end of the first act of the film. That's the MacGuffin is getting back for Kira. Yeah. Um, but it just changes shape. I think it's still his MacGuffin. It's still his desire is to get this job done, but then get Kira to come away with him. Um, right. That that initial the desire of Hans to be free with Kira never changes in the film for Han. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's, it's very interesting. So let me ask you this because I'm really curious about your take on, on the end of the film when Kira makes the decision to leave Han there. Mm -hmm. Do you think Kira is making this decision to stay part of Crimson Dawn is a way of advancing herself um, purely is she, or is she doing this to protect Han and a little bit of column a or, or what, what do you think Kira's motivations are, you know, at the end by choosing not to leave with Han? I, I, I think two things can be true. <laughs> I think ultimately this, this is an act of love because if she was truly completely selfish, she would have like kept him and, you know, they would have gone into Crimson Dawn together. You know, she would have just been like, let's leave Chewbacca to, and Beckett, you know, to, to, they're going to go face Enfys. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. We're, we're going to maul empty handed either way, you know, it, and so either she does that alone or she does that with Han by her side. And she was truly, truly selfish. She would have done it with Han at her side. Um, so I think when she lets him go, when she doesn't name him to Maul, she is doing that out of love so that he can be free in a way that she she can't be. She's literally marked by this life and by this you know gang. And Han isn't yet. Maul doesn't know his face, doesn't know his name. He can go be free. But I also think that Kira is acting out of her fears and, you know, out of a, a little bit of selflessness, uh, selfishness, 
in that, you know, she, from the very beginning of the movie, she said that she's wanted to be safe. Uh, she, you know, she doesn't want to be kicked around anymore. And I think by staying in Crimson Dawn, uh, you know, the, the devil she knows is better than the devil she doesn't know. You know, when when they get to the checkpoint, she's so afraid of the unknown. And, you know, what if what's out there is actually worse than what we're dealing with in here? And so for her to, to run away, I think she's too afraid to. You know, she, she knows that Crimson Dawn will come after her and she doesn't. Maybe there's something even worse out there. So it's safer to stay. And so I think... <laughs> Like I said at the top, I, I think two things can be true, where she's doing this to protect herself and she's doing it to protect Han. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'm in the same camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, just listening to you in that explanation, uh, I, I appreciate it. I think that's really, it's a really fascinating take that, in a way, Kira is more afraid than Han. Um, mm-hmm. And while we don't know really much detail of either of them before this movie. I mean, I know the, the novel Most Wanted's out now, and I, I haven't read it yet. Oh, um, I loved it. <laughs> oh, good. I've heard it's really fun. I don't know how much it enriches their backstory. It, I don't know. I think it does, at least for Kira. It's definitely enriches Kira. Um, Han a little bit, but not as much as Kira. It, and it's definitely a young adult book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an easy read. I knocked it out in the afternoon. So it's not going to be like a deep, complex read. Um, but it is a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it a lot. Oh, good. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, I definitely plan to read it. Um, but, you know, the little bit we hear, right, you know, uh, Lady Proxima mm-hmm. says, you know, we pulled you out of that pit, gave you a home. Um, and, again, this is going to be a lot of inferring right now, but this is Star Wars. We're allowed to do this. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, and then all we hear from Han is that, you know, you know, he had a father, but he wasn't close to him. And at the beginning, you know, in that opening crawl that's not a crawl, we learned that Proxima rescues runaways. So pretty clearly Han was a runaway, most likely, right? Like he rejects his family and runs away. Um, But so I say all that to say this, going with what you just kind of put out, pointed out, Katie, is that if Kira's more afraid, it could be because she's just coming from such a horrible situation that she, and like you pointed out, right? The one they're in the spaceport trying to leave. Han's like, you know, wherever we go, it can't be worse than where we're coming from. And Kira immediately shoots back. Yes, it could. Like, mm-hmm. we have no protection out there. There is something more. There's a there's a terror that exists within Kira that doesn't exist in Han. Um, and what it makes me thinking about Han, go figure. I'm thinking about Han, my boy. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about this in similarity to his son, Kylo. Um, mm-hmm. Han is a character in this film who, in a way... Real, right, people are saying you know there's there's a lot of criticisms that he's too different from the Han of a New Hope, and 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 I would disagree because I think well first off this is ten years before before you know things really go bad for him, mm-hmm. but also I would say Han is very cocky in a in a more subtle way in this movie, right? He sees in a, like I'm going to be a great pilot. I know I'm great. Like I know I deserve this, that, and the other thing. Han. There's an entitlement to Han that doesn't really come from anywhere other than his own sense of self-confidence. Um, and I don't say entitlement like like some obnoxious, presumptuous person. But <laughs> Han, you know, the sense that he probably is a runaway comes from the fact that he probably was growing up in an atmosphere that he recognized as harmful to him. So he said, screw it. I'm going to leave. 
Um, and the same decision he makes with Proxima. I'm going to steal from her because screw her. I deserve better. Right. I think Han kind of has that mentality of I'm not going to stick around in a situation that limits me. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder yeah. if that's similar to Ben. Right. Ben Solo, who in a way feels limited by, you know, well, he's growing up in the shadow of these two great heroes, you know, heroes of the rebellion. His uncle's the, you know, greatest Jedi to have ever lived. He's he's growing up in this place where he feels like he needs to stand out. So he's going to reject what he has for something different, right? Like Ray calls him out on that in Last Jedi, you know, like tell me why, you know, you had a father who gave a damn about you. Um, You know, I just, it's just making me see these potential similarities, right? That there's this self-assuredness to Han that I think his son inherits. The self-assuredness of like, you know, um, I can and should be something more than the shadow that I'm boxed in by. Right. Makes me think in Revenge of the Sith when Anakin says, I want more, but I know I shouldn't, you know, um, just some great storytelling here. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I I really Um, like Star Wars. I know. It's so good. (laughs) It's like my favorite thing. (laughs) But yeah, well, like um, to your point about uh, Han's like, you know, self-assuredness. I I love that part where he's like, well, we already got a great pilot that just points at his so good. <laughs> he is arrogant. Then, yeah, he's arrogant. And then, like, too, oh, I can't wait for you to read Most Wanted. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a scene where, um, you know, Han and Kira are getting closer, and they decide that they are going to tell each other one true thing. And I really can't wait for you to read that and then message me when you do because okay. I want to know what you think. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> yeah, they, they tell each other just one thing that's true and it's it's really good. Um but then about like um Ben Solo yeah, I'm I'm so excited to see like what exactly did Snoke mean when he said that that you know Ben Solo has too much of his father's heart. What is what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that he has no people, even though he does. Like there, there's a loneliness in Ben Solo that I, that I think is rather on. You know, his his last name is rather on the nose. I think that it's not an accident that that his last name is Solo. That he took his father's name, even though, you know, isn't uh, isn't um, Leia's people supposed to be matriarchal? Shouldn't he? <laughs> I saw the internet talking about how his last name should have been Organa. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, there's there's a reason he's called Solo, and there's a reason they keep talking about how he's got a lot of his dad in him. And, I, and you know, as you say, I keep seeing these, like, parallels between, like, you know, Han's, Han's loneliness and Han's, yeah, being self-assured and thinking everything's going to go right for him. I see that in Ben and I, I need episode nine, like right now I needed it yesterday, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's, but yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's just, it's so good. The, the way that, um, in a way Kira develops Han, mm-hmm. um, and, you know the, the the thing I I appreciate a lot about their their relationship is um kind of Han's inability to let go of the past. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he makes this promise. You know, a vow. I'm going to come back and get you. And he he is inherently. Tra- I mean, he is he's vigorously trying to do that. He goes so far as to even join the Empire. 
Um, and you know that Han never bought into the Empire, right? I, oh, I yeah, love no, that yeah. Little, <laughs> love that little mim- moment on Mimbin where, he, you know, he says, you know, you know, it's their planet. We're the hostiles. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I love that. I mean, it just it, it's it reminds me so much of a political statement of the original movies, right? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. was very, you know, very much a reaction to the kind of BS of our involvement in the Vietnam War. And mm-hmm. again, could be perfectly translated to the BS we got involved with by invading Iraq for literally no reason. Um, yep. So Han definitely has that um, perspective where yes. it's like, uh, we're not the good guys barging in. We're the hostiles. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We are, we are the, you know, force of imperialism, which tends to be a horrible force history, mm-hmm. both of star Wars and, you know, world history shows us that imperialism is one of the worst things to have ever happened to human culture. Um, so I love that little line from Han because it just makes it very clear that he's not the bad guy, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he understand. <laughs> he understands pretty clearly the morality here and the, the fact that the empire has none. Um, but, uh, the thing, you know, but just moving into that, that point with Kira, right? When they, when they bump into each other on Dryden's yacht there. And by the way, it's the first time we hear their, their theme. How good Aww. is that statement of that, that, that <laughs> love theme? I'm still um, crying about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's this moment of just like pure joy for Han. He just embraces her. And oh, gosh, the way he grabs her face. I, yeah. I'm such a sucker for face grabbing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and there is this kind of like there's a youthfulness that overtakes Han. Right. Um, mm-hmm. This this pure sentiment that just that just drives him. But you can immediately see like Kira, the first thing Kira says is, you know, it's in the past. Right. Like she's kind of already moved past it. And then she immediately like slowly moves his hands away and takes in the fact that Dryden's guards are watching this. Right. Um, yeah. She's aware that this is, you know, like careful here, buddy. Like, don't put your hands all over me. I'm in a way she's spoken for in a yeah. very, very horrible way. But. Um, right. Like she is not where Han is at all. Um, and I think the sad thing is, and it culminates, right? Like even with Beckett saying Han, like, you know, is Dryden dead? Kira kill him. Right. And he tries to make it clear to Han, like this was never about you. And I think there's, mm-hmm. there is some truth in that, right? Like, um, and we see that on Kira's face, right? When, when they're leaving for, uh, Kessel and Dryden says, oh, by the way, if, you know, if this doesn't work, you'll all be out of options. And it like, right. The camera settles on Kira. It settles yeah. on Kira's kind of stone cold response to this of like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think it sets into motion for Kira, like a way to very, very quickly try to get out of Dryden's, um, domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, she's such a survivor, you know? I think I think that's and I think Beckett picked up on it right away where it's like, you know, she's going to do what she needs to do to survive. Yeah. 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 Um, by the way, just saying that stuff about survive, um, mm-hmm. it, it makes me think of Ray because right. Ray is a survivor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's I wanted to bring this up because this just made me think of it. And I, I wanted to, to mention it and get your take, too. Yeah. There are so many points in this movie that I think make it very clear why Han is so drawn to Rey in Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Um, they're literal like lines reused by Han, right? I need to get back. I've been away too long. Yeah. Right? That's literally what 
Ray says to Han as her excuse as to why she can't join his crew. Um, right? Like, Han gets it. Han understands Ray because he was in Ray's situation when he was her age. Um, and, Thank and goodness I, for that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, just because uh, when I first saw First Awakens, like everything, uh, you know, all of Han and Ray's interactions are just like dripping in this irony that I just could not unravel. And I'm like, what? What is? between them what does he know that she doesn't know and i and i for the longest time i thought the reveal was going to be like surprise he's your dad you know <laughs> that that kind of thing but now that that we've seen the solo movie and, and you know as you say the lines are like literally being reused we can draw these direct parallels between han and ray and and it's just like wow he sees exactly himself and ray and how she has to get back to jakku and i love that he offers her a job because you know what what does han say in the beginning of solo but you know that he's been waiting for a long a long time for a shot like this and so that's what he's offering ray he's offering her a shot he's offering her a job a chance to make some real money and then you know maybe that'll help her out but she just wants to go back to Jakku and it, and he doesn't he doesn't try to stop her he just says well Chewie kind of likes you <laughs> yeah. yeah right um so yeah just uh just to switch gears a little bit um mm-hmm. you know uh let's talk this is a huge shift of years wow sure what yeah a hor- what a horrible transition um, but just because I love it, we'll we'll just dance our way through it. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. Um, but it's a point that I did want to to mention before before we close out the episode. But is that of the mm-hmm. music again? Um, yeah. I really just want to give props to John Powell because um, yeah, you know, I'm sure he's a regular listener. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, but, I saw his iTunes review. Yeah, he loves you guys. Yeah, yeah, John Powell 101. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> Love their analysis. <laughs> the maestro, John Powell. Um, but no, the thing I was thinking a lot of, were you, Katie, for, um, forgive me for forgetting, but were you at the last celebration in Orlando? I was not, unfortunately. Okay. Um, well, David Collins did a panel there on um, you know the Rogue One soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And do you know who David Collins is? Yeah. Okay. Um, in case you don't know who David Collins is, he's he's just this incredible. Uh, he's very involved with StarWars.com right now. He, he's he's musically trained, so he did that show on on Rebel Force Radio, Star Wars Oxygen, um, for a while. They're kind of breaking down the music of Star Wars, and literally no one can, in my opinion, put a put a finger to to David Collins' ability to break down Star Wars music. Oh, he's um, so smart, so insightful, incredibly insightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just also, by the way, seems like a really cool dude. I'd love to meet. I've messaged him a few times to try to get him on the show. He's never responded, which I'm not surprised. He, he <laughs> doesn't know who I am, or but I, it's like my life's goal is to get him on the show. I care. I I'd, I'd almost take him over Mark Hamill. Um, oh snap! I know, oh, and it's man. not, and, and that's not a to discredit Mark Hamill, but I just think <laughs> I'm going to tell Mark Hamill you said that. <laughs> yeah, next time you guys Little are hanging you know, out, there's like an email in your inbox right now. Mark Hamill wants to come on the Wampas Lair, and then he'll be like, wait. I heard you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, at the at the panel, uh, David Collins was talking a lot about you know and looking ahead, right, to the fact that John Williams won't be scoring Star Wars music forever. I mean, it's very clear. He he even said like Episode Nine will be his last, which is not surprising. He's ninety two years old. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but 
David Collins broke down that, you know, what Giacchino did so well with Rogue One and that he thinks is a great model moving forward for other, you know, composers to do Star Wars movies is is following this mode of I don't remember all the bullet points. And I really wish they would have released to this panel like either, you know, like a so you could listen to it again. But it's something along the lines of it's important to stay faithful to the tradition of Star Wars. Um, to, you know, follow in the tradition of John Williams by making it, you know, orchestral and big by creating themes, but then also the, the final element of making sure you, you bring your own voice to things. Um, and he was talking about how, G, you know, Giacchino does that so beautifully, like so much of that film, it's, it's very much Star Wars music. He creates new themes and weaves them in and out throughout the movie, right, which is something John Williams does in all of the, you know, all of his films. Right, he creates themes for characters, and they're they're woven throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, like we like we talked about earlier, the last you know the last like five minutes of that movie, musically, that's Giacchino's voice. That's not mm. right. That's him just bringing his own voice very much to the music. Um, yeah. Right, yep. your, your father would be proud. Is again nothing we've ever heard in stars before, but it's Michael Giacchino for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think what John Powell does so beautifully. Is, is is specifically bring the idea of using themes and weaving them throughout the film, um, which is, again, something John Williams always did. I don't know enough of John Powell's other music to say whether or not he brings his own voice because I don't really know his voice. Um, like I said, I, I know I listened to some of his stuff off Spotify, you know, uh, like a few weeks before the film just to get a sense of him. Nothing stood out to me. I didn't dislike it, but it, there was nothing particularly evocative. Um, I've I've loved Giacchino since up. I think he's an unbelievably good composer. Um, so I was very hesitant with Powell, and, and I remember my first viewing. I was very underwhelmed by the music, but as you know, I went back more and more, and especially since having the soundtrack, I've been nothing but blown away by what John Powell gave us. Um, I just I don't know his musical language well enough to say you know in what ways he brought his own language. I'm sure he did. I just don't know his language well enough, like I do Giacchino's, to make that assessment. Um, but the thing I think he masterfully does is again, bring in themes and just weave them throughout the music. Oh yeah. Oh, this is going to sound so silly, but you know, when, when Kira hands Han the dice, like she punches him and gives him back the dice. Yeah. And then we, yeah. And then we hear the theme, the, uh, the rebel, what is it? The the rebel theme. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's played so gently and so like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Almost cute. No, it's not cute. It's, but it's sweet in a way. Um, even the first time I heard it, it, I immediately conjured this image in my head of Han Solo, uh, like holding those dice and and telling his, you know, young son about all the adventures he's been on and you know where these dice have been it's like oh did i tell you when i got these dice on kessel and little ben solo being like no tell me and then just kind of that that theme playing you know Mm. it's just it's so the notes are so gentle the way it plays in that moment it was just it was so specific you know as you say like these um these themes being woven in and coming back it um it's very evocative yeah yeah, and I know um, a lot of people really like the track, you know, Reminiscence Therapy, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just an incredibly good title because that's literally what it is. It's just that's that's all the, in a very heavy way, the the rehashed music from the original movies, right? I mean, we get the mm-hmm. asteroid field in there. We get the trench run in there. Um, 
And and again, like I understand why people really love it. It's not my favorite moment because it's nothing new. I mean, I want I want Star Wars to be new, and it, 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 this is going to sound a little bit like a jerk, and I apologize, but I think for a lot of Star Wars fans, they don't want anything new. As much as they say they do, they really don't. Um, Sometimes, which, yeah. You know, which <laughs> has been you know a lot of the pushback to Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, people didn't like it because it was so new. Um, well, then, like, that's what I'm so confused about about this movie is that this movie is like nothing but old EU references and OT references and it's just it's just references and stuff we've seen before. And not that this movie doesn't do anything new, but there's just so much in this movie that's familiar. I'm so confused about why there was pushback against this movie when I'm like, I thought this was exactly what you were asking for. Right. Well, I think, that's, I think that's the pushback from the folks who haven't seen it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And refuse to because of some ridiculous reason. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I love Reminiscence Therapy. I, I think it's a lot of And what I actually really like about that track is how it is all these themes we've heard before. But Powell does. He brings something new to it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. He does give it his own spin, which I appreciate. It's not just like he's literally taking these tracks and recutting them like he is re-recording them and giving them his own spin. Um, I really like his take on the the uh, the trench run music. Like I I actually I I like it a lot. <laughs> you know I almost like it more than the original. Um, the way he brings in like like I think they're timpani drums. I don't know enough about orchestral instruments to say, but there's oh, some gosh. kind of drums that he brings in that I just think are really cool. <laughs> you know more than me, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I applaud you because you actually knew that term. <laughs> uh, well, I, my office is right next to our music minister at work, so I, oh, I, nice. I, I learn a lot from him. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think even what he's, he's taking that he's reusing, he gives it a new flavor and I appreciate that. Um, another moment that really stands out to me where he does that is when they approach the Falcon, right? And a lot of people really liked that track L3 and the Millennium Falcon and it's yeah, the big yep. reveal moment and right before it. And I, and I played the track, I think on a previous episode, um, but I can queue it up again here really quickly. Um, give me one second, but there's, yeah. he does this beautiful stuff on, um, let me find it. Okay, a little bit earlier than that. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oop, no. I want it before that. All right. So listen to these chimes that he has playing, almost like somebody's telling a fairy tale right yeah. before. Fairy tale. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. But I'm saying it was, like, cute, you know, and I couldn't think of the word sweet. It's like a fairy tale when... When he gets those dice back, and it is like a story he's telling Ben Solo. Yeah, yeah. So, so here, here he is giving this like fairy tale theme to then leap, which then bleeds into like this really triumphant yeah. statement of the rebel theme. So, those chimes, you're right, so subtle but so pretty. And then here, rounds the corner. There's even a choir in there in the background, oh, right? Oh my like gosh. Hitting yeah. kind of these angelic notes, right? Um, right. There's something very magical in that moment. It just feels so good. Don't yeah. you feel good inside? Yes. I feel good inside. Yes, I do, Katie. Oh. Yes, I do. <laughs> I feel like my heart is bigger. <laughs> um, 
Well, let's you know what. So let's let's start rounding this out by by talking about some of those things. So uh, let's talk a little bit about some of those 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 big moments that made us kind of smile or or really feel um, something. So let's talk. Let's start with those those big moments that made us smile. Can you think of a moment that really made you grin real big in the movie? Uh, yeah, I've talked about it a lot though. I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> Was seeing Maul again. Sure. What a trip. What, who, oh, ah, I'm sorry. But who would have thought we would see him again on the big screen? It's just that this movie could bring that to us. That, how can you smile any bigger than like they had, they had the courage to bring Darth Maul to the big screen. It's like, is this going to confuse people? I don't care. Put Maul up there. Do it. (laughs) Oh, it makes me so happy. It feels so good to see him again. And it feels like anything could happen in Star Wars now because this thing that I thought was impossible is actually real and true. And if this can be real and true, then nothing is impossible. It reminds me that Star Wars is, in fact, limitless. And it gives me the biggest freaking smile to see (laughs) Darth freaking Maul again. (laughs) Yeah. Just wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, you know, the the first one that I always get a big grin at in the movie is when he and Kira, right, kind of crouch down. By the way, um, I heard an argument saying that, you know, it's kind of BS that Han can win at Sabacc, considering he's never really played before. Um, uh, he's lying. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and also in the movie, when Han first comes into like the lair, of, like Proxima's lair, and he's, you know, looking for Kira. When he's walking by a group of those kids, you hear a kid say, aha, I got it, full sabak. So these kids oh, nice. are playing sabak. Um, yeah. So, no, he's obviously played before. And that's like yeah. that's an old hustler's trick is to pretend you don't know anything about the game. Absolutely. And then you like lose a couple hands to, you know, make them think that you're terrible. And then you like and then you demolish them when they get overconfident. Like, exactly. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> um but when Han comes in and, and, and finds Kira and, you know, you know, gives her the, the, the vial of coaxium he stole and, you know, she's like, wow, this could be it. And he's like, Kira, this is it, you know, and they just yeah. kind of, you know, they kiss and they have this like really sweet, innocent moment of promising to each other that they're going to get off. It just it, every time I've seen that movie, I smile so big at that moment because oh, it's my just gosh. like, yes, like I yes, go. Go be free. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't remember the 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 name of the car that the speeder that Han has uh, has lifted. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, just not that yeah, great I, with a long string of numbers and letters. Yeah, I don't remember but, it either. Uh, but Kira like immediately recognizes it, and Han says, "You like it?" She goes, "I love it." Uh, that makes me <laughs> smile. It makes me smile so much. Like they're just so perfect for each other. <laughs> Uh, what what else? Are there any other smile moments for you, Katie? I feel like this whole movie is a giant smile moment because because uh, you know all the aliens around the Sabacc table make me smile. Lady Proximo makes me smile. Like whose idea was that? Who who was like you know what this scene needs is a giant worm covered, nay festooned in jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Just. Uh, the train heist makes you smile oddly enough, even though it goes like so horribly wrong. It's so fun mm. to watch, you know, it's just yes. like, it's racing. Oh, it's so fast. Yeah. The train. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. Then Ephes nest comes up over the, over the ridge and then the music kicks in, like her theme kicks in. I'm sorry. This, 
whole movie is a smile moment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Moving on, because um, I agree. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, I you know I, I shared that meme a friend of mine sent to me. You know where it it's hot and kerosene together. And it says smile. That's that's the word I use every time I think of watching Solo. Um, yeah. Makes me smile. Oh my god. Oh, just yeah. In that entire like lounge scene when we like oh, just it's got that lady wearing that gold dress and that gold dress is baller. I love oh, that the woman dress. Singing? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She is. So I remember the the early trailers where we saw that, right? Where we, and we also mm-hmm. see like the Twi'leks kind of doing some grinding on each other. Yeah. I was like, this is the first time I've ever seen something that's sexy in Star Wars. Well, I guess like Leia's bikini is kind of sexy, sure. <laughs> uh, but I was also like a little kid, so I didn't really put that put that that way. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, Padme is very attractive for sure, but I wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. use sexy. There She's was something beautiful. Yeah. She's like unearthly beautiful like she's like unreal in how beautiful she is but yeah this like this scene this lounge scene we got all kinds of people and aliens like grinding up against each other it's very like almost sexual yeah Yeah. i think it was a little more it was definitely more watered down when i watched it in the film than i maybe was expecting but there is there is still something (laughs) very sexy about even kira's dresses like it's very very oh you know, like that that long yeah. slit, you know, and, you know. The, oh, I love that dress. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, they, it's, and, it's beautiful, but also, like, it's. I think it's kind of sexy, too. Oh, it's definitely very sexy. And, like, the way she, like, reaches for Dryden when she's sitting on the couch for him to, like, come sit next to her. And she, like, drapes her arm over his shoulder. I think that's also very sexy. Like, you know, I, I just love her entire look. I love all of her like little mannerisms. She's definitely like. Um, did you pick up the art book? They like they describe her as like she needed to be a femme fatale like to a fault, and yes. they absolutely nailed it yeah. with her look. Yeah, yeah, yeah they really did. Um, you know, a, a moment I really like is when you know. So kind of going off of what you were just saying when they you know they fly off mm-hmm. of the speeder. It, it, Bradford Young did an unbelievably good job with the you know the the filming the movie right the way he uses color mm-hmm. and everything um mm-hmm. but as they're flying out of the the housing sector and it just kind of they're flying into the light right like it's to me that's like that's star wars symbolism on the nose right star the symbolism of star wars has always been very just kind of there for you it's always been in a way easy pickings and i don't mm-hmm. and i don't mean that to sound diminutive of it like that it's so simple it's stupid because i don't think well, that's it's accessible right and, yeah um you know, and and I, and I really appreciate that that this film has a lot of those moments, and and that's one of those moments when they're flying out, and they're f- literally flying into the light. The, and, and the way they film it too, it's like we're flying into the light. It immediately goes into this POV. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, and uh, we're flying into the light, and and then they both like hoop and holler, like they're just celebrating this moment. Oh um, gosh, yeah. No, and they and they just they feel so young, you know. Yeah. Yeah, cue Frank Sinatra. You make me feel so young. <laughs> I love it. You make me feel like Proxima. Proxima can be gone. <laughs> <You Yes. know? laughs> um, Han just like cranks the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but again, like as they're flying off there, again, it's just, it's it's a subtle character building moment when like Kira's like, you know, we'll be able to get out of here and go wherever we want, and Han looks at her and says, "I'm going to be a pilot." I love it. Like, you know, I. I I mean, Katie, you, you, you're married. I'm sure you've had moments like this with your husband, but like those little moments where you just kind of reveal something about yourself to your, to someone you really care about, 
And it just mm-hmm. like it, there's something really beautiful in those moments. And and this is one of those moments where I just again I smile really big because I love that this is like this is Hans everything, and he's just kind of saying like he's just dreaming out loud. And that's one of the most beautiful things about close friendships or close relationships, right? Is the ability to just kind of blurt out your dreams. And that's yeah. what he's doing there, right? Like it's just kind of this subconscious thought that just you know volcanoes up. You know, I'm going to be a pilot. You know, it's just it's it's so beautiful. And it's just it means so much. Again, if you if you read um, Most Wanted, you know, it took so much just for them to reveal one true thing to each other for Han to to <laughs> reveal this thing about him, this thing that he wants, <laughs> this thing that you know is almost impossible. Because, you know, his father never got to fly a ship, but, you know, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to make it happen and that he can just admit it to Kira and she accepts it. It, it is. It's very pure and it's very – it's so nice. I mean, it's you're, just, you're making me yeah. want to read this even more. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Go read it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend. Five stars. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I know it's um, it, it's it's a moment like uh, like I was talking when Val brushes uh, brushes uh, Beckett's hair out of his face. It's those little those little moments that make you feel closer to someone, and you know, um, it it just really makes you believe their relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So uh, it's. It- Something I wanted to, to to talk about, and maybe we can use this as kind of the the, the winding down of the episode. But mm-hmm. um, the end of the towards the end of the movie, when you know Kira asks, you know Han confesses to Kira, you know I'm not the same kid I was on Corellia. Yeah. Really? Who are you? I'm an outlaw. <laughs> yeah. I love the way <laughs> she just laughs. And, you know, and, and we hear the line we've been hearing in the trailers for months. You know, yeah, I may be the only person in the whole galaxy who knows who you really are. What's that? You know, I love the way he says that, too. You're the good guy, you know. Um, and uh, a friend of uh, my friend, Greg, sh- uh, shared with me something from a, a podcast where one of their big criticisms on the movie is that Han is too heroic in the movie, that it takes away from his character development in A New Hope. Um, and, uh, I, I couldn't disagree more. Um, yeah, same <laughs> that, you know, I mean, I get that point, I guess, like, did we, do we still need this? No, of course not. We don't need this movie and it, and, and we don't need it to really flesh out even more of Han's character development, but I don't think it in any way diminishes it. Um, I, you know, I, in a way to me, that's just, that's, that's somebody else still holding on to like not wanting anything different. Right. It's mm-hmm. like I want my Star Wars unblemished and don't touch my Star Wars. I think that's it all, it's almost out of that camp that an argument like that in my opinion. Um but the reason yeah. I think that it doesn't stand up at all is because it shows us who Han inherently is. He is the good guy. He does do selfless things, but because of events that culminate in this film and I'm sure other things that are going to culminate in the next decade between this and a new hope like you said earlier, he becomes jaded. And the thing mm-hmm. I love about the original story now, like what we now know in the original trilogy is that what ultimately happens because of his interactions with Luke and Leia and Ben um, is it covers off the jaded dust off of the goodness of his heart. And that's why I think that that's, that's not a valid argument for why this movie doesn't work is I think this is exactly what we needed, is it shows how inherently good Han is. Um, he just becomes jaded. Um, but 
you know, there's so forgive me, Katie. Jason always has to suffer through these two, although I don't think he minds too much. But, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite like early saints from the early church, uh, his name is um, Saint Gregory of Nyssa. And he uh, he has this beautiful uh, uh, work where he wrote about um, how we all inherently have, you know, our, our true identity. And this is actually this is all, almost very Freudian, but like two thousand years before Freud existed. Um, but he makes this statement about how like the our true identity, our true self, always exists within us. But oftentimes it takes work to uncover it. So yes, he uses like theological language, like saying, "Oh, like we have to dig away at the sin that covers up the goodness of our hearts." But I think there's like he's saying that there's this inherent goodness or, or truth that exists in all of us. But in a way, we have to put in the work to let it come to light. Right. And and not be afraid to let it come to light. And I think that's the thing. This is a Han who lives going back to something you were saying earlier, um, a very fearless way of being. And that fearlessness makes him unafraid to show his inherent goodness. But he becomes a character who probably is more afraid as he gets a price on his head later in life. Right. (laughs) And that inherent goodness becomes covered up. But this movie shows that it's always there. It just took some time and some work to let it come out again. Well, yeah. Well, that's star Wars, isn't it? Star Wars is, you know, it, it, it's always been about, you know, Luke must unlearn what he's learned. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we shed our, our fears, you know, ego, what we think is impossible. When we shed all of that self, then things become limitless. And, you know, when all, all these, all this fear, all this life basically has worn at Han by, you know, by the time of the, of a new hope. And it takes a while for him to unlearn what he's learned. And that's that people will let him down, that he can only rely on himself and Chewie, you know, all, all, all of these things that life has quote unquote taught him is not true. That's the truth is inside of him. You know, that goodness is inside of him. And when he lets it come out, then that's when the limits are gone and all things are possible. Yeah. Very well put. Yeah. Um, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to open this to you then because I've obviously talked a lot and, and thanks for <laughs> suffering with that. Um, but I mean, any, any kind of just like closing thought do you want to share? And again, there's still so much more I want to talk about with this movie. Um, and I know Jason and I will get to that at, 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 at soon, soon enough time because um, I also want to hear his closing thoughts on on the movie as well. Cause I, and like I said, unfortunately you couldn't, couldn't do it today. Um, but, uh, I mean, anything big you want to bring up that, that I haven't brought up or that you really are itching to, to talk about that hasn't been said yet. Oh gosh. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure tomorrow I'll be all caps lock screaming on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, you know, if, if people, you know, are saying that, you know, oh, Han Solo didn't really require a backstory. I actually, I saw an article about that where it's just all like, Han Solo requires no origin story. I'm like, okay, sure. But if you accept that this is the story about how Han became Han, I just adore how each of these characters, you know, uh, Val, Beckett, uh, L3, Lando, Kira, uh, Chewie, <laughs> all these characters contribute to who Han becomes. And that is so Star Wars. You know, this movie is very, very Star Wars to me. It feeds into these like core themes of Star Wars and the core, 
you know, the core theme of Star Wars to me, of course, is like the force and how it connects all of us. And there are no small actions and no small choices. You know, one person's choices affects everybody else. And so that all of these characters kind of come together to form our titular solo. That's the most Star Wars to me. And I think it was really well done here. I just, I adore, adore, adore this movie. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go see it again, even though I said 10 would be my cap, but <laughs> no, gotta, there's no cap. Do. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, one, I guess one last thing, sorry that I'm going to share. And, and I remember yeah. I, I made this post on my own like personal social media. Um, but I think the thing that I've loved most about the movie um, is again, kind of this big theme of, of friendship and, and filial love. Right. Uh, so, and and I've probably said this on previous podcasts, so forgive me, but right the 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 Greek definition for love there are three three words they use for love. There's uh, eros, philia, and agape. And eros is erotic love, kind of more passionate love. Um, agape is like a, a, a selfless love. But then there's philia love, which is like the love of friendship and family. Um, you know, he's looking for his tribe or family. I'm not sure which. Is there a difference? <laughs> Good old Beckett. Um, yeah. But uh, I love in this movie that ultimately the freedom Han seeks, he finds in the love of a friend. Um, and that just, I mean, that, again, that speaks to me very much personally, which is what I love, have loved about this movie is Han thinks that everything he wants is going to be found in something very specific, right? Flying among mm-hmm. the stars with Kira specifically. Um, but he learns in this movie that he can find freedom in the love of a friend. And I really like that. I really like that a lot. Um, you know, it, it's as it, as someone who, who speaking out of losing the, the, the best relationship I've ever had in my life, you know, a little, a little under a year ago, um, and, and dealing with the repercussions of that, I have really found a freedom in the love of my friends, uh, specifically some of my friends out here, you know, in Boston. And, uh, that theme really spoke to me cause it's like, yep, I get that. I'm living that. And, and Han learned something very beautiful. And again, it's, it's so beautifully captured with no words when Han is watching Kira fly off. Right. And there's just this look of sadness on his face and you just get that big Wookiee paw that comes up out of the periphery and rests on his shoulder. Right. Like yeah. he will never be Han Solo again. No, he's got Chewie. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. That's, uh, that's the thing. Yeah, Chewie could have left, but you know, Chewie, Chewie came back for him. <laughs> it's so important. Yeah, you know, Han was like, "I'm gonna come back for Kira," but you know, Chewie, Chewie came back for him. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such a good movie. Let's go see it again. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm grabbing my keys. Let's go. <laughs> Um, but all right. Well, anything else you wanted to mention before, before we wrap it up? Mm, No, we can wrap it up here. Um, I, (laughs) I feel bad. I didn't talk too much about L3. She was probably my favorite, but I feel like, uh, we covered her pretty well last time. People just have to go back and listen to, (laughs) listen to that one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, (laughs) excuse me, man, I have this horrible cough, so I apologize if you can all hear me like. I try to lean away from the mic, but sometimes I can't help it. Um, so, uh, yeah, Katie, thanks so much for, for filling in for Jason. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, 
you know, uh, I, re- I was really happy because I, I, I was getting nervous. I was like, oh, I don't know if we're going to be able to do an episode this week then. And uh, I shot you a message <laughs> just hoping. And then I really appreciate you coming through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I'm really glad it worked out. And I'm really glad we could uh, sit down and talk about this movie again because I've just I've enjoyed it so much. And of course, you know, I always love coming and talking to you guys on the Wampus Lair. You guys are so fun. (laughs) Well, you're very (laughs) kind. Um, So, uh, Katie, you want to remind folks how they can hear your capital, all your your caps uh, <laughs> <caps> your caps lock <laughs> exuberance over on Twitter. Yeah, go ahead and follow me at Poe Hot Dameron, all one word on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I am there all the time. It's the best way to keep up with me and to see how much I do love Star Wars and how much time I spend thinking about Star Wars. I love it. It's a lot. Spoiler alert. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've tra- I found my true purpose, Lando. That's what I've done. <laughs> I've found my true purpose. It's tweeting about Star Wars. <laughs> that droid. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine if L3 had a Twitter account? Just, just no more subjugation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, yeah, Katie, thanks again. I, I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Um, so, yeah, that's going to that's gonna wrap up this episode of the Wampuzzler podcast. Again, it, it, you know, f- follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wampuzzler podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Wampuzzler. Um, you can always shoot us emails at wampuzzlerpodcast at gmail.com. Head over to our Patreon page. Support the show uh, over there if you can at patreon.com slash podcast. Um, this has been episode 289. Uh, you're liberated scoot um love that line and uh you know so on behalf of jason who uh is here is is the presence of a force ghost as always and on behalf of katie i'm carl and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the wampus podcast and we'll see you again real soon